0: Juliet Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 140 of Dogcast Radio. In this show, we have an interview with Tony Shelbourne about her new book, The Truth About Wolves and Dogs.
1: Having worked with the wolves and observing them day in day out and also having access to some of the world's best wolf biologists and all the latest research they were doing I came to understand that actually these alpha theories just didn't sit true with me.
0: Plus we have the Dogcast Radio news and an exciting giveaway we have coming up but before all that we have an interview about Tribal with Sandy Pensinger from Living With Dogs. Triball is an intriguing new dog sport that I've been eager to find out more about for a while. But before we get to that, I know Sandy offers a huge variety of classes and activities, and her passion is finding solutions for owners and keeping dogs in their homes and out of rescue.
2: Absolutely, um, we are pretty much focused on trying to keep dogs in homes um, and uh, have have animals you can live with. So. We focus on all sorts of variety of classes from the puppy preschool up into, you know, advanced levels of dog sport classes like an agility. Um, we have lure coursing, nose work and law
0: Yeah, yeah. And I guess one of the things is, you know, one of the ways to a happy dog is to keep them busy and, and occupied and, and to, you know, work their brain, isn't it?
2: It is, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, we always say a
0: good dog is a tired dog. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Okay, well, with that in mind, we're going to talk about tri-ball today. Um, And I guess we have to start with what is tri-ball, Sandy?
2: Yeah, tri is a a sport. It's a game of speed. It's a timed game. And in it, dogs uh, push around balls, and the balls are large exercise balls. I get a lot of questions about, won't the dogs pop the balls? And that's one of the things is we teach them not to. But it, it combines skills like herding and agility and soccer-like um, skills. It's it's not a soccer game because there's not a team of dogs out there. There's just one dog and one person. Um, but dogs who like to chase things like tri-ball because it's... Um, it's a it's a sport any dog can do.
0: Yeah, yeah. And if what if you sort of have a little um I'm thinking if you have a Jack Russell or you have um a Pyrenean mountain dog, do they each work with the same size of ball? Is it a standard ball?
2: You can use different sizes. Um the rules are that the ball can be shoulder height or higher. So for small dogs it um you might be pushing around a a, a really small ball. Um, some of the organizations that uh, have competitions have uh, 45 millimeters as being the smallest ball, which is about 17 inches. And the largest ball is 85 centimeters, which is about 36 inches.
0: Oh, right. Okay. Yep. So it, it really is open to sort of any any breed and or mix and, and size of dog, isn't it? Is there an is there an age limit? Do they have to be a certain age before they
2: start? Not really. Um we like to see their growth plates um getting close, but if there's no jumping. There is some uh repetitive motion in just it's mostly just running. The dog has to do an out run around the balls, um in the advanced levels, the dog will be pushing in eight balls. Wow. And they'll be set up in a triangle like billiards. So the dog runs around the balls as if they were a flock of balls and then pushes in one at a time. And so um, the only real uh, physical uh, motion that's, that's repetitive is the pushing against the ball.
0: Yeah, yeah. So when, when they have eight balls like that, um, do they go and sort of fetch one at a time? Or do they actually move all eight in, uh, in one go at any point? <laughs>
2: they move one at a time Good. <laughs> sometimes. So it's just like billiards. If you hit one ball, several balls might move into the goal at the same time. And you'd consider yourself lucky if that happened.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. I suppose they're not really up to the physics of it. It's got to happen by accident. You can't really
2: train that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's just a lucky, a lucky day when that happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. And is it that they're fetching the balls back to you or is there some kind of um, uh, track or, or goal? How, what, you know, what's the
2: end point? The handler stands in a goal, and the dog brings the balls to the handler. So the the game involves a lot of independence on the dog's part, um, and you would consider yourself very unlucky if the dog hit the balls on the way out and hit them away from the handler. They're supposed to go around and bring them into the handler.
1: Yeah,
2: so they'll be pushing them. A distance of anywhere from um, 30 feet to 100 feet in different venues.
0: Wow, yeah. And are you allowed to sort of shout encouragement and instructions or do you just have to wait?
2: Absolutely. You, yeah, you can issue shoes to your dog and you can encourage them and motivate them. And so it's, um, it's a fun sport. And I think the, the real challenge comes in distance handling. Because dogs, I think we spend a lot of time calling our dogs to come to us and teaching them to stay near us. And so a lot of dogs get out on a field and they go, well, I'm not supposed to leave my owner. (laughs) (laughs) And they feel um, they have to learn little by little. We use a lot of shaping techniques and training distance so that we're only getting a little bit at a time. And the dog is feeling confident all of the way along the training process. Yeah, yeah.
0: It sounds fantastic. Um,
2: Where did it um, originate, Sandy? It started in Germany. Um, It was developed by a fellow who wanted to uh, create a job for his herding dogs because they were underemployed and he didn't have sheep. He lived, um, you know, he's doing this for urban people who live in cities and they're probably... In in our neck of the woods, I'm in California. Some people drive hours and hours to get to a place where they can do herding, because our area is relatively suburban and there there aren't a lot of sheep around. But we can buy a few balls and start training our dogs in our backyards or even in in the hallway in the house. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, that's that was one of the questions sort of because if you're going to do agility and to an extent if you're going to do rally, you know, you, obviously you have to invest in, in equipment. But this sounds quite simple that you just get a big ball and you can start right away, can't you?
2: You can. Mm-hmm. We do um, recommend that people don't start with a ball right away. Hmm. Um, work, work on the distance piece and the directionals first and work on the dog orienting to you because that's one of the important skills that they have to bring the ball to you Yeah. so they always have to learn how to orient to you so okay. if you were to put a clock down on the ground and the dog were to run, let's say you're at uh, 6 o'clock mm-hmm. and your dog were to run out to 12 o'clock then they'd have to orient to you and if you turn slightly you're at 5 o'clock and the dog is at uh, 11 o'clock, they would have to learn to turn to you as you turn or as the ball moves around the field. And so that's an important skill.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I guess actually it is, from the sound of that, it is something that perhaps border collies might have an advantage with because they do kind of tend to have that um, natural uh, mirroring or, or, you know, oppositing, if that's a word. You know, with my border collie, if I stand one side of the ball, he will automatically go to the other side. And if I move, he'll adjust. Um, so I guess right. they, they take to it, do they?
2: Um, it's, it, I think there's, there's quite a few dogs that would do this. And herding dogs, um, people with herding dogs seem to be interested in this sport. But I think it's really a matter of um, chasing the ball and learning not to attack the ball. Yeah, that is is a really big key. So um, impulse control is really important as well. Yeah. But, yes, I think I think where the herding dogs have a big advantages, that they naturally will work around a uh, a herd of something that they'll go, they'll do an outrun. And some breeds won't. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we find that because we use a shaping technique, I I don't think you could use a choke chain to get a dog to run away from you. No. Um, unless, unless we were being punitive. But if you, um, you can't use force to train distance. You have to use motivation. So um, shaping is a wonderful technique for teaching the sport. And um, I like to see, When I'm training Tribal, I like to see the handler break everything down into small pieces and motivate the dog through every single step of the way. So the dog is building on their skills that they've learned before. If a dog has had compulsion training, um, they tend not to be able to think through the shaping process as easily as dogs have been trained using shaping and problem-solving techniques um, before. So, um, for instance, if someone's done a lot of um, obedience work, um, the dog will, instead of problem-solving, the dog will wait for the owner to tell them what to do. Yeah. And try ball a certain amount of independence is required. The um, dog has to do decision-making as they're driving the balls in.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so with shaping, we wait to see a behaviour we like, and then we reward it, don't we? That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, mark it
2: and reward it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Now we we sort of talked about there's there's quite a lot of um, thinking required from the dog, but presumably you you need quite a level of response to your commands, and you've mentioned some things already. But what level of training does your dog need? To participate or even you know to, to start training what do we need our dogs to be able to do?
2: I think the basics are really important that a dog needs to be able to have a, the ability to respond to its owner um, so therefore paying attention is important. I like to see some basic obedience I want the dog to be able to line up in a heel position with the owner um, and um, and to be able to wait for a cue to go out to the balls. So there has to be some impulse control as well. And then I like to see um, a, a, it would be nice to see something like a, a go to your mat behavior. So the dog can go to a spot. We use a lot of targets in training and on that on the ground is a, a placement target for the dog. And that's one of the first skills we teach. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It is a useful behaviour to have, isn't it? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, it, it it sounds as if sort of there there may be pitfalls you can fall into because I would have sort of gone, oh, I can get a big ball and start, you know. <laughs> so, do do you think it's better to sort of go and find a club, or or a trainer like you, or you know, would you say to people, yeah, you can, you can have a go on your own? Would you think it's easier to find a, a club or trainer?
2: I say you could do it on your own, or you can do it with a trainer or a club it, anyway, depends because it's a new sport. There aren't a lot of options in the in the um club or trainer field. Um, there are competitions being held in Germany and in Europe, but in the u s they're just getting started, so it, and I think there's a trial that's going to happen this spring hmm. in the South here. Um, we're talking, we've developed an organization um, that is not quite born yet, and we're calling it the National Association of Tribal Enthusiasts. And it's a group of people from all over the country, and we've been meeting and putting together the organization and the role for it. And we're hoping to have not only um, in person uh, competitions, if you will, but uh, video competitions the mm. um, so reactive dogs could participate in the sport as well For yeah. people who are out out of town and couldn't travel to a, um, a venue to compete they mm. can do it by video
0: yeah that that's brilliant because i mean I, I love dog sports um and i love dog sports that are as accessible as possible you know and and um sort of rally i was very excited about because you know you can sort of start that if you can you you start that level on lead don't you the easiest level with your dog on lead and you, if you can do a sit you can sort of start you know um so something that you is very simple um and that as you say if you can make it even more accessible okay. so that online you can access it it's brilliant so um resources for
2: people who want to train by themselves uh there's a lot of video online. Um, there's a Yahoo group called Tribal that you can go to and, and have people that you can um, ask questions to, just send it out to the group and you'll get replies. I people from all over the world are on that group. I think we have about 800 members on that group now. And um, I've also written a book called the Tribal Handbook, which is... Um, De- develops the shaping technique to train your dog. And we've produced two videos. One's called Beginning Tribal, and the other's called Intermediate Tribal. And it goes through the steps of how to train your dog. So that's a, a wonderful, um, there's a lot of resources out there if you know where to go. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Um, so even in the UK, because it hasn't, Tribal, unfortunately, has not really hit the UK. Um, as far as I'm aware, if
2: anybody is aware that it has,
0: please let me know. Um, but um, even... There are several
2: members in the UK yeah. um, on Tribal Yahoo Group. So you can put a message out there. There's also a list of trainers on the Yahoo Group. Um, we have um, uh, one list for U.S. trainers and one list for um, outside the U.S.
0: Excellent. Okay. Um, any in Shropshire <laughs> that you know of?
2: <laughs> I'm not off the top of my no. <laughs> head. I could put a, put a word out there on the Yahoo group and find out. Yeah. I believe that there is a Yahoo group for people training in the UK as well.
0: Excellent. Well, I I didn't realise that. I'm going to go and check that out because I think um, definitely our border collie would be very up for that. Um, do, do you think that we've done sort of justice to Tribal? ball Is there anything else that you'd like to add?
2: Um, yeah, just that I think that it's it's an up and coming sport and that um, it's it. I think it takes um, the distance piece takes the most training um, and. I think that's where people have to spend their energy is working on distance before ball pushing. The dogs are not allowed to put their paws on the ball or bite the balls. If they bite them, of course they pop. Mm-hmm. And it it requires um, that we oftentimes work with non ball objects before we actually work with balls. So we'll put something like a laundry basket out around um, something cylindrical <laughs> and f- between us and the dog and teach them how to move to do the outrun and to orient to us um, and then we'll do directionals because if once a dog hits the balls they scatter and the dog needs to know whether to go right or left mm-hmm. um, to to pick up the balls and bring them in so um, it's it's a wonderful sport, and I think it, it takes uh, a lot of partnership between you and the dog to be able to accomplish it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and as you say, that's, that's one of the things we, we want to improve. We want to have the best relationship we can with our dog, and it sounds like this is going to improve
2: that, doesn't it? Exactly. Yes, it's, it's a wonderful way to partner with your dog.
0: Yeah, excellent. Um, Sandy, where can people find out more about you online?
2: Um, livingwithdogs.us is our website. And we have a link on the homepage that says Tribal. And so you can go there and find out some resources. We have some links. Um, We have the the links to the book and the video. And um, we also... uh, are oftentimes on we have actually have a Facebook group and the Yahoo group and I participate on that um, regularly.
0: Excellent. I will put all those links on um, so people can come and find out more. And thank you ever so much, Sandy Pensinger. You're welcome. <laughs> I do love discovering new dog sports and I'm looking forward to going to watch and maybe even take part in some tri Now it has finally reached the UK too. We have all the links Sandy mentioned on the Dogcast radio site, and if you and your dog are already enjoying Tribal, we'd love to hear from you. We long for an affection altogether ignorant of our faults. Heaven has accorded this to us in the
3: uncritical
0: canine attachment. George Eliot.
3: Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio News Desk. I'm Kate,
4: and I'm Nick. A dog in Virginia, USA, sparked a panic when he was mistaken for a lion on the loose. Charles the Monarch is a Labradoodle whose coat has been groomed and clipped to resemble a lion's mane. The resemblance is close enough that passers-by mistook the dog for a young lion and reported the sighting to police. Police officers checked with the zoo that they weren't missing any lions before it emerged that it was Charles the Labra Lion people were seeing. Charles's owner, Daniel Painter, is a big fan of his local Old Dominion University, whose mascot is a lion, and has had his dog groomed in tribute to the mascot. Now he's hit the headlines, but let's hope he doesn't cause any more scares.
3: In Florida, USA, the Humane Society's shelter in Putnam County is running a programme called Tails teaching animals and inmates life skills where rescue dogs are paired with prison inmates overseen by a trainer to give the dogs basic training to help them find their forever homes sounds a great idea doesn't it and apparently it's helping both the dogs and the prisoners with dog adoption rates going from 10 percent up to 90 percent but the scheme needs financial support to stay open and is looking for donations to help the project You can donate at www.hsnefl.org, which you'll find a link to on the Dogcast Radio site.
4: Now, if your dog went missing, would you think of placing a call to your local taxi cab firm? Well, when Katrina Merton's two-year-old poodle Rupert was lost in Fairfax, in the Canterbury area of New Zealand, that's just what she did. Rupert escaped from home one Saturday afternoon, and despite calling everyone she could think of, including the pound, Katrina could find no trace of Rupert. Then her mother suggested phoning Timaru Taxis and asking the drivers to keep an eye open for the small dog. Driver Bruce Scott let Katrina know when he spotted Rupert, but although she set off straight away to follow the report, Katrina failed to find the dog. However, there was a happy ending when Rupert turned up back at home after an absence of a few days. But if your dog goes missing, it's well worth using any and all resources at your disposal.
3: And on the subject of disappearing dogs... Did you know that the dog playing token could soon be taken out of the game of Monopoly? Game maker Hasbro is updating the game by removing one of the traditional tokens and replacing it with a more modern one. But the choice of which one is removed and which one is added is being put to a worldwide public vote. So you can save the dog. To vote, go to the Save Your Token app on Facebook, which you can access via the link on the Dogcast Radio site.
4: Finally, staying with doggy games, if you fancy a bit of dog-themed fun, you can join in on the latest online pursuit of Fine Momo. Momo is a four-year-old border collie from northern Ontario whose penchant for hiding whilst out on walks led his owner Andrew Knapp to post photos of Momo peeping out from behind and among a variety of scenery and props for viewers to spot. You can see how eagle eyed you are at findmomo.tumblr.com, and you can find that link along with Momo's Twitter and Instagram accounts on the Dogcast Radio site. And you'll be able to find us again at the Dogcast Radio News Desk very soon. Goodbye.
0: The most affectionate creature in the world is a wet dog. Ambrose Beers. Elbourn has written a book called The Truth About Wolves and Dogs which questions long-held beliefs about both wolves and how we should train our dogs. She worked for many years as a senior handler and education officer at the UK Wolf Conservation Trust and I wanted to know what experiences and observations led her to write the book.
1: Well, I'm um, obviously working with wolves for a long time but previous to that working with dogs. So I've worked with both species for, you know, many years. And all of those things I was taught right back in the early days when I first started working as a, you know, member of kennels and guide dogs all those years ago. You know, all about the pack hierarchy and you do this because wolves do this and you have to be the alpha lead, all that stuff. I started to sort of apply that and look at the wolf packs and how they interacted, and and actually realised that they didn't really do any of that. It was like no one had told them the book, you know, yes. no one had told them the theory. So, and I started to open my eyes up to actually was this actually right what we were told, and 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 it, it wasn't. So, having worked with the wolves and observing them day in day out, and also having access to some of the world's best wolf biologists and all the latest research they were doing, I came to understand that actually these alpha theories just didn't sit true with me. So I started to investigate where they actually came from and started to read really old gun dog training books sort of from the 1800s hmm. and recognize so much of the things that people label as being in the dominance, you know, training theory as in eating for them and not letting them get away with anything and this, that and the other. They're all old things from what was then called the force method. So, of course, today, no one's going to to use a method called the force method because it sounds so horrible. And all of the studies that were done back in the 30s and 40s that were the terms that alpha was coined from were disproved, obviously, 20 odd years ago. But it seems somehow that they've all had a little bit of mix up. So the force method got a little bit of a makeover into the alpha terms and all of that in the 30s and and it's kind of then stuck along but it's all got mixed up really so the book kind of sets the record straight so people actually know where all these things are coming from so they can make an informed choice about how they want to treat their dog manage their dog train their dog and you know and about their relationship with their dog
0: yeah yeah i mean i guess when we're dealing with methods that have been handed down you know over 100 years ago and, and more than that um people didn't believe or the general belief then was that dogs didn't feel pain or fear or, or have emotions so to still or even be, have character <laughs> yeah i mean to still to still be working on those methods is, is barbaric isn't it
1: uh, yeah and anyone else who works with dogs absolutely knows that our dogs have a wide range of emotions and it's lovely because today science is catching up with us so we actually are now being able to prove that dogs have the same emotions than us and possibly even have emotions that we don't even understand so it's an exciting time really.
0: Yeah yeah they do seem to be able to perceive things that we can't perceive and of course we can't even understand how they're doing that then and and to my mind the confusing thing is I don't see why dogs would be any different from humans you know we all have different abilities different talents
1: and And they have more than us don't they because they sense of smell which they rely on so much Mm. and we you know we can't be in that part of their world at all so there's a massive part of dog communications that we just are excluded from yeah yeah
0: now when you you say the wolves didn't um behave in the way you expected was that when you were interacting with them and perhaps trying to train them or was that sort of when they were interacting with each other
1: interacting with each other definitely Mm. I mean you know you, wolves are very different, but you know very different from dogs. you know everything is is times by ten you know all their reactions are big reactions um but things like you know you know you'd watch them just relating silly things like you know going through doors first and stuff you, you know alphas what you would term then as alphas, which we now call the breeding pair or the parents hmm. um, you know they are often the ones that are hang back and be a little bit more suspicious and it'll be the the bolder kind of underlings as it were the sub adults that would be the brave ones to go and investigate something new um it would often be the lower ranking wolves that would start play um oh. you know there'd be loads of different things i'd see um and you, we still use the term amiga in the wolf world I, i'd see these amigas who very cleverly got what they wanted you know they'd get the best parts of food <laughs> you know <laughs> just by being very sneaky you know it, it just it was so many things that i would go uh, oh, well, that's a bit different, or, or that's not what I've been told. And and we're always told, aren't we, when you know dogs. If if us have, a, have a we have an argument with a partner, for example, and our dogs jump up in between us, that the dogs are being dominant. Actually, that's what amigas do to actually diffuse um, tension within a pack. So they hmm. use them as an escape goat So when your dog does that, he doesn't seem to appear to like you having a a mock fight or whatever. It's usually because they're just trying to diffuse it. Oh, yeah. You see, they, uh, to me, it's fascinating when you
0: start to understand why dogs are doing things. That's when you really start to have a great relationship with your dog, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you allow them to have choices. You allow them to be able to interact with you in a much more natural way as well. And you remove that stress level as well, which obviously yeah. then allows them to be, you know, their behaviours and their character and to, to flourish, really. I mean, another sort of
0: when the dominance um, training and advice was at its peak, it was sort of everything is on your terms. Nothing is on the dog's terms, wasn't it? And sort of Mm -hmm. then we had the backlash of but my dog won't interact with me now because, you know, I'm too
1: scared of you now. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean,
0: the, the alpha pair it seems to me from what I've read, don't have that strict kind of, I'm in charge, nobody can do anything without my say-so, do they? They, they encourage. Well, you
1: know, where that information came from originally was that the studies were done on 10 adult wolves in an enclosure that was 10 metres by 20 metres in breeding season. Now, that's really unnatural for a wolf pack. One, Ten wolves in a pack, adult wolves in a pack, is unheard of in the wild because it's usually just mum, dad, and the kids. So you would probably have maybe last year's cubs and this year's cubs and mum and dad, and that would basically make the pack up. Two, a pack of ten in the world isn't classed as a big pack. Yeah. Three in the wild, they would have an enclosure that would, but you know, their their territory would be maybe hundreds of square miles. And, you know, so and also you wouldn't in a pack have that rivalry for breeding because it's only mum and dad and immature wolves that haven't reached sexual maturity yet. So all the information we base all that theory on that dominance theory is all incorrect because that's not what happens in the world. That's not how wolves are. Now, we're not saying that there isn't aggression between wolves, but it tends to be. Rivalry between two neighbouring packs for territory rather than a problem within the pack. Because what you don't want is an unstable, unstable pack because that causes huge problems. Um, And obviously then that pack will break up and then you've got less likelihood to survive in the wild. So, yeah, it's it's um, it's a theory that was based on information that just was wolves who were very stressed in an unrealistic situation. Um, and therefore they're going to react very differently to what walls would in the wild.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost like studying humans in an overcrowded kind of, you know, refugee or prison situation, isn't it? And sort of going, that's, yeah, that's how humans behave, which it isn't, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet it's it's been so pervasive, hasn't it? It has, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I know um, sort of one of your passions is to inform people and, and get that... that um, your message out to them about you know you've been told the wrong thing um Mm. for so many years how do you see this information impacting on you know our relationship with our dogs because if if we if we we shouldn't have this very strict um rigid you know i'm in charge you're just a one of my minions kind of thing how what's a what's a better way to live with our dogs
1: well, I think it's, uh, for me, the comments I've been having from people is that they just feel less guilty about letting their dogs on the sofa and letting them on the bed. And People are going, oh, thank goodness, I'm allowed to do this now. I think people have been restricted for so long, they've forgotten how to just have a loving, respectful relationship with their dogs, you know, a, t- a proper two-way relationship. Mm, so for mm. me, it's about them being able to just flourish in, in that, um, that bond that they have with their dogs, build the rapport up you know, and really start to understand, have a mutual understanding and a dialogue really between the two species, because I think that's what's really been missing for many years is that dogs haven't been allowed to be dogs, as we were saying earlier, and that, you know, people want to have that deeper relationship, but somehow felt unable to because they were told that's not how things are done.
0: Yeah. But and I mean,
1: also, people felt so guilty about doing these things to the dogs. So many people have come to me and said, oh, in a class, I, you know, a trainer pinned my dog down and oh. told me to do this. And I really didn't want to do it and didn't sit well with them, didn't, wasn't comfortable. And they're so happy that, you know, when I tell them they really don't need to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we've, we've talked about this be- before the interview, but sort of you're right in that you do feel guilty because, for example, one of our dogs, our little Bichon Star, isn't always that keen on going for a walk. So, I will find myself sort of standing at the front door going, Well, do you, do you want to come for a walk? And I'm sort of I'm miming walk, you know, do you want to come for a walk or not? She knows the door's open, the leads are there, she knows exactly what's going on. And she's hanging back going, I don't think I will today. And I always think, feel a bit guilty and sort of think, Well, should I sort of say, No, come here and, you know, put your lead on and come for this walk? And obviously, sometimes you think, No, you do need exercise. You know, you do have to take that route of, You need it this time. But, you know do you see that as okay to give our dogs that that choice
1: oh absolutely I mean you know obviously just like teenagers you have to look for boundary pushing don't you and 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 be able to manage that but for dogs if they're older dogs or they're fearful dogs you know making them do something they don't want to do I mean relate that to how your children would feel if you did that to them You know, they would be upset. They may be stressed because they're going into an environment they're not happy with. Um, Mm. You know, and it would, and they would resent you for it. So, very much for me, it's it is about working with your dogs and allowing them and listening to them as well. I mean, I I I often have. I watch dogs at shows, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, a rescues open show or, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm at a show uh, on a stand or something. And and I see people who go and they come and talk to me and go, oh, I brought my dog along today because they're not very happy with our other dogs and so brought them to socialise them. And the dog is so upset and so panicked. And it's what we would term in training as flooding, isn't it? Yes. So, yeah. you know, and, it, and it just doesn't help the dog at all. If anything, it makes them worse. So, for me, it's very much I don't put my dog in a situation that I don't think she'll cope with. Um, if I do put her in that situation, I only put her in it for a very few few minutes and then I'll take her out when I feel she's had enough. She's, she's telling me she's had enough. Mm. And I want to always give her that really good experience. Um, but I very much listen to her about whether she wants to do that, whether she can cope with that and when she's had enough of that. So, yeah, it's about giving them choices.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you know that's interesting because um... – I I think that the way I raise my dogs is similar, obviously not identical to, but similar to, you know, how I've raised my daughter. And I, before that I was a teacher. So, you know, and, and as you say, it is about setting boundaries and sort of saying, right, yeah. that's the line. I'm mm-hmm. not going to accept that. But within those lines, you know, we can have fun and we can be informal and we can have a laugh because yeah. I've got the authority to go, Mm-mm, no, that yeah. was, you know,
1: um, but within that, you and don't can have, they respect you much more because of that?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. But it's interesting because the first, the very first trainer I went to with my Labrador, so ten years ago, um, he's been a trainer for for many, many years. Um, so he sort of he felt he had absolute authority to you know, lay lay the law down and tell you how it was. But Mm. one of the things he said, and and he and I clashed, well, he and I debated things, you know, whereas the others would go, okay, fine. But even then I was kind of of going, hang on a minute, how does that work? And one of the things that he was saying was, you know, you have to tell your dogs. And he said, oh, that's the trouble with with the world today. I saw this woman bring her child into a cafe the other day and she sat him down and went, what do you want? He said, you have to tell them what they want. And you're thinking, oh, no. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so, we didn't stay there long, Tony. <laughs>
1: Uh-oh.
0: Yes. So, I mean, he he advised things like um, you know, if if you've got your dog in a crate and I I am I do use crates, I like crates. But he sort of said, if you've got your dog in a crate and it starts to come out and you don't want him to come out, just slam the door in his face. Okay. And I'm thinking no this is this isn't right for me you know this so uh, we, we, we moved on quickly. but
1: I think it's about personalities with people isn't it because I've come to the conclusion that there'll always be people who like to do the dominance route be you know the alpha and all that stuff there's people who are possibly you know more looking into the science and being progressive and looking at how dogs learn and I think then there's this big group of people in the middle the everyday dog owners who are just confused they're like sandwiched between these two methods and everyone's telling them this from one side and this from the other side and they just get confused and that's really where the book came from I just wanted to set the record straight and help people to have an informed choice basically and Mm. and have all that information to hand so that they can decide for themselves instead of believing all this information that comes. I mean so many times people come to me with their dogs and they go, Oh, I've read this book, I've been told this, I've been and I'm just I just don't know what to do anymore. I'm completely confused. Yeah. And it it's about just helping them just to figure it out. And I'm always saying to them, Well, does it sit right with you? Does it feel right with you? Do you are you happy doing this? Are you comfortable? Go with your gut instinct. Don't go with something that they don't feel comfortable with. Oh. And I think then they can really buy into that and, um, and, and you know, start to have that process of that understanding and working with their dogs rather than making their dogs do something they think they ought to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of the things we, we should address, cause, um, just so there's no confusion, is... You know, when, when we're talking about giving our dogs a bit of freedom and, and choice and things like that, we're not saying don't train them, are we? We, we you know, train oh. them, but use the right methods, aren't we?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it goes back to that boundaries, isn't it? They need rules. They need boundaries. But it, it for me, the word dominance has these really horrible connotations of harsh, aggressive, violent training these days. Where actually, if you look at a, a wolf pack, the, the, um, the parents... Uh, And a good parent is very um, calm, will control everything with just a look or a slight body posture or a very slight vocalization. You know, everything's very they can be quite aloof. They're, They're just they're just very calm about it. Whereas you see bullying alphas and you do get them in the wolf world. And they're just always running around, pinning wolves down and growling and showing off and doing all these big things. And and you just look at the personality and go, actually, you, you, you don't suit being a leader. You're not a good leader. Whereas mm. this wolf who just slightly raises its tail and turns his head and looks at a wolf and that other wolf goes, oh, I'm really sorry, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're the good leaders. And that's really what I want people to achieve is that they can be calm about it and do it in a calm, authoritative way. They don't have to do it in the bullying, aggressive way. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and I mean, really, that's, that's the thing, because if your your dog can read your body language and, I mean, who knows, can read what scents and pheromones and whatever you're giving off so well, mm-hmm. you, you know, you kind of don't need to, to grind them down and oppress them horrendously. It's just... You know, they're focused on you. So use that. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Definitely. Mm. Use that inner strength, that inner calm, really. Um, And just just be an authoritative, calm, you know, a leader rather than being a bully.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, we've we've obviously domesticated our dogs and sort of bred them um, over so many hundreds and thousands of years. Is there still quite a strong link between wolves and dogs? How, How intertwined do you see them?
1: Well, if you look at the genetics, they, you know, they, there's not a huge difference between them. So wolves are, are said to are only wolves and dogs are said to are only be 0.04% different in their DNA makeup. Oh. However, if you look at things like lettuce <laughs> and, <laughs> our, and us, our DNA is very similar as well, but we don't <laughs> go around trying to be a salad. So no. you know there is, and even in the wolf world, there are different species and there are many different subspecies of wolves, and they all act Slightly differently, they all have slight different family structures, hunting patterns, you know, places where they live, breeding cycle, you know, it's all slightly different. So, what they've done with wolves is they actually have um actually, they've DNA tested about 84 different breeds of dogs and oh. um, to see who was closest to the wolf. And it's w- what you would expect it's the ancient breeds, like uh the senjis and akitas and weirdly tibetan terriers and oh, yeah. these ancient breeds chows things like that um that are you know um slightly genetically closer to wolves and they are the ones you expect they're more aloof they probably won't get on with other dogs quite so well in the park they're more territorial you know all of those things that you would associate a wolf to be whereas you know your your much newer breeds um are happy to mix in the park you know mainly and and um don't have those territorial issues and all those that aloofness and that uh, that that kind of need to wander off you know it's like you know anyone who knows who owns a husky knows that when they're mature you can't let them off because they're gone, yeah. <laughs> and, that, mm-hmm. and that's very much you know a wolf thing you know they're wanderers so So there are, you know, there's a. You look at the behaviour of wolves and dogs, and you'll you'll notice. Oh, you'll see, my dog does that, and yeah, my dog does that. It'll circle and scrape the ground before it, you know, beds down, and all those things are look really similar, but they're done for a different reason. I I sometimes question if modern dogs actually know why they scrape their bed up and circle (laughs) before they lay down, or whether it's just like a genetic. Memory really of of what why wolves do it, which is Mm. to make a scrape in the ground as a bed to keep you know relatively warm in the wild.
0: Yeah. Do you know that's interesting because our our Bichon of of the three of them, we have a a Labrador, Border Collie, and the Bichon, and the Bichon cannot settle without scraping at the bed, and you're going, can you stop it because you're just going to rip through that bed, you know? And she looks at you like, but I have to. But as you say does she know what she it's just like a compost Does she like. ever
1: do it in the garden
0: she has done but no not really no not not to settle <laughs> down no not where she could actually have an effect <laughs> yeah absolutely
1: not when she's actually making a, a proper scrape
0: <laughs> no and the more expensive the bed the more she's going to scrape I'm sure I'm sure <laughs> but um no I know that the, the book has got some some really gorgeous photography in it hasn't it and then yeah. you put captions to to help people really see what's going on
1: yeah, I'm really, really proud of the photos and, and 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 you know, hats off to all the people who let me use their photos because there's some from world renowned wolf photographers in there there's um some uh, there's some amazing pictures from um a friend of mine lee piper who who's only an amateur but is just brilliant at at photographing dogs he did a lot of dogs and some wolf photos from him as well um and they're they're just stunning they're absolutely stunning they really do make the book there's over 120 photos in there and as you say the the publishers have let me write really long captions to them so people can actually see what i'm trying to explain in the t- in the text really mm. so they can recognize it then in their dog and so many people have said to me oh i i just look at my dogs differently in the park now i'm working with a media company at the moment because we're hoping to turn this um the book into a, a, a series a, a tv oh. program um and he's read the book and he's he's got a dog he loves it ben you know loves dogs and wolves and all animals and he says you yeah, know, i spent all my time in the park <laughs> looking at my dog and like, working out what he's trying to say and it's mm. so lovely that people are, are just looking at that communication a little bit more closely because of reading the book
0: yeah yeah it is it becomes the more you know about it the more fascinating it becomes and when you can start to recognize you know a different tail position or a you know the, the the flick of the eyes and it's so subtle you know when you're first told did you see the eye flick you're like no no <laughs> did it happen are you sure but once you start to be you know have it pointed out to you it does it just becomes fascinating
1: yeah and I can tell from you know yards off which dog is gonna cause a problem to my dog and which dog's gonna be fine yeah You know, she does, obviously, because she's an expert at reading other dogs. But, you know, I can keep her safe because I can interpret what's going to happen with that other dog. So I can either take her away or I can intervene and interact with that dog before it comes to interact with her or whatever. But it helps me keep her safe and and because she is quite shy. So it really helps her to be able to trust me that I'm going to take control of the situation. She doesn't have to deal with herself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which is is a brilliant thing to be able to do. As an owner and sort of getting out there in the real world to be able to say no, you know, you stay by me, or no, you, you're safe now, or we'll avoid that dog, or yeah. that's a wonderful yeah. thing
1: to have, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, because you know, there, unfortunately, there are so many dogs out there now who, who are, for want of a better word, rude in their behaviour, <laughs> yeah. um, and you know, it can be really scary to another dog, and you know, um, so many times people say, oh no, my dog's fine, it's like, yeah, but my dog's really shy and actually. Yeah that behavior mm. or you know my dog's going to be reactive which of course is another fear response you know yeah. she has a tendency to run away other dogs will have a tendency to kind of front up and, and get themselves in trouble that way so mm. yeah being able to read the other dog and read your dog can really help owners just avoid those situations that aren't going to turn out well yeah yeah Yeah.
0: Now, I know whenever we have any feature to do with wolves, that there's a big response from listeners because they love wolves. And, you know, we all like to look at our dog's ancestors. Um, So where can people find out more about you and the book online?
1: Oh, OK. So the book has its own Facebook page. Mm hmm um so if you just put, type in the truth about wolves and dogs into the search engine of facebook you'll find that um uh, also on twitter so if you just look me up on twitter you can do that um the the book is on amazon it's on the publisher's web uh website page obviously which is hubbleandhattie.com okay. um there's loads of really lovely reviews as well on on both the us and the uk amazon sites um so yeah there's lots of places but probably your first first place to go would be good to follow anything I'm doing um and uh anything the books doing would be on the Facebook page so the truth about wolves and dogs smashing and you do write
0: a blog don't you about sort of your um because you, you you see clients and you train and you use T touch you I you know you yeah. um yeah so you, you have clients um and you do a blog about that which is really interesting
1: I do and I'm really really bad at doing it really regularly <laughs> so thanks for reminding me I've got to go and do an entry now <laughs>
0: Oh, well, um, thank you very much for sharing your, your insight into wolves. They are fascinating and, and, and so, to most people, so mysterious because you don't get the chance to go and watch them. You know, you're lucky if you get the chance to go and interact at all. Yes. So to, to, for you to share that knowledge is brilliant. Thank you. You're welcome. I find that fascinating and I think Tony has a great attitude. You can find out more about her from any of those links she mentioned, which are all on the Dogcast Radio site after being scolded, goes about its business. A dog slinks off into a corner and pretends to be doing a serious self-reappraisal. Robert Brault. In the next episode, we'll have an interview with artist Carol Pivarnik, who has brought out a beautiful book called Dogitude. You can hear all about her work and the book, and how you could win yourself a free copy. We've had snow here in the UK, and of our three dogs, Buddy loves the snow. It really brings out his inner puppy. Star likes it for a while, but wants to get out of it before her coat amasses too much snow. And Rusty's not keen, but if you throw a ball for him, he'll stay out in it as long as you can bear. So if you live somewhere that's snowy right now, I hope you and your dogs are enjoying it. And if you live somewhere that's warm right now, lucky you. Till next time, look after yourselves. And your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. Radio. By email you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our program. We can accept most formats, for example WAV MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. A man and his dog walk into a bar. The man proclaims, I'll bet you a round of drinks that my dog can talk. The bartender said, yeah, sure, go ahead. The man said, what covers a house? The dog said, roof. The man said, how does sandpaper feel? The dog said, Ruff. The man said, who was the greatest baseball player of all time? The dog said, "Ruth." The man said, pay up, I told you he could talk. The bartender, annoyed at this point, throws them both out the door. Sitting on the sidewalk, the dog looks at the guy and says, Or is the greatest player Mantle?